On today's episode, we talk school operations with Mike Brooks and Paul Batchelder. Mike is Chief Operations Officer at Salado ISD, chairs our Maintenance and Operations Research Committee, and recently was elected to the TASPA Board of Directors. Paul is Director of Life Safety and Emergency Preparedness at New Caney ISD and chairs our Safety and Risk Management Research Committee. Now, before recording this episode, I didn't realize how frequently they present together as they seamlessly discussed M&O and school safety. Their discussions were pretty interesting as they both were in tune with how schools are preparing for the summer break. They are excellent resources on each subject, and we're lucky to have them on TASPOcast. All right, before we talk about what your schools are doing for prepping for the summer, what are your summer vacation plans? Paul? Uh, I think the, the wife and I are going to take the kids out to Kalahari and enjoy a few days of the indoor water park and just uh, hang out and relax, celebrate ending up another school year. And that's that's the Kalahari Resort in Round Rock? Yes, sir. What about you, Mike? Well, uh, I, I live five minutes from the Kalahari, so <laughs> I, my goal is to get as far away from that as possible. But uh plan on taking advantage of the three-day weekends over the whole summer and, and get as much fishing on the coast as I can. So you're talking about three-day weekends in during the summer. What are you what are you and your staff doing over the summer and what do you do to prep for the summer? So really the the, the prep for the summer, we start actually back in December for, before the Christmas break, we start identifying um, major projects. Um, Kind of lining out teams to do custodial work, major cleaning, deep cleaning type things, floor finishes. But um, probably over the last uh, four to six weeks, we're really looking at the the safety and security issues that we that have just really come up in the last few weeks. Um, things that we that we know we have to do um, that we haven't done this year, and things that we think we're going to have to do um, over the next summer. So we're looking at fencing, making sure our building numbers are um, visible, they're not peeling, uh, making sure um, all of our door locks, you know, we're, we're doing our weekly inspections, um, but we want to make sure that the things that we've been repairing periodically are, are being permanently fixed over the summer so that when we start off uh, in, in August that we're not starting off with band-aids on top of band-aids that, that just pass the, the weekly test, but it's um, sec- just permanently secure. And what about you, Paul? What about on the uh, safety and risk management side? Well, Mike's right. You know, a lot of that stuff, the prep work starts, you know, well before um, you get to the summer and just trying to identify what needs to be done. And, um, you know, I just want to echo that, you know, we have new sets of requirements, new things that we're looking at, even new things that we've done throughout the school year to try to make schools um, safer across the state. And so we'll be looking at Um, specifically, you know, finishing up any inspections that need to be done on any of our life safety systems and things like that, just making sure that everything's up to date on that, as well as organizing any contract work to start tackling some of the uh, new requirements, some of the ones that uh, we are specifically putting on ourselves as a district, regardless of what uh, comes about, and just kind of navigating the grant funds that have been made available to us, because we get really 
kind of tight windows to spend some of that. And we also get very specific categories that we need to spend it in. So we're, we're trying to make sure and manage that and, and start applying as much of that uh, work to get done this summer as we can. And, and if I can add to one of the things that we're looking at, we all do required training that we check a box that we, you know, that either we review our emergency operations plan and how each one of our departments and campus personnel respond to it. Um, I'm really making a focus this summer to where when we come back and we have new employee orientation for not just my department, but other departments. So they know what we do, but we're really diving in deep to look at, are we responding the way we need to is, uh, do we have standard protocol for when there's a level one incident, level two, um, we're starting our new police department this summer. So we've got a chief on board and, and two additional SROs. So we're really trying to figure out how we all work together. Um, we're a growing district and we're kind of at the point now where we can't just fly by the seat of our pants. So we've got to make sure that it's written, that it's that we're reviewing it once a year and maintaining it or revising it as, as, as we grow. Well, let's, let's talk about that uh, trends in school safety and specifically trends in school shooter uh, preparation, but what are some facility improvements specifically that you and other schools are looking at? So I think the first thing uh, school districts should really take a look at is, is paying attention to uh, the, the grant funds that have come in and already been awarded to us because we're, we're on a we're on a time clock at that point and the categories that are allowed for to be spent. What's what is good is there's about six categories with this most recent um, school safety standards grant that give you the option to kind of spend in different areas based on what your needs of the district are. Specifically, the facility improvements that that it makes appropriations for is like uh, exterior fencing, as well as silent panic alert technologies um, to, you know, not just call 911, but also be able to alert other groups of school administrators simultaneously. And so when it comes down to, uh, you know, preparing for an active threat, there's really, you know, the facility improvements that you can do that kind of close the gap on people being able to get into a facility. Simply put, if they can't get in, they can't do harm. That's kind of a mantra that we carry around here. And so we look at what do we need to do to keep people that we don't want to be in the facility out of the facility, whether that's done through exterior fencing or um, you know, more secure vegetables, uh, more um, active latches that allow them to not have direct access to a reception, whatever we can do that walks the line between you know, a little more secure, but still an inviting facility to come in. So I think as we navigate what that looks like with each individual school district, you have some options within those grant funds to kind of go about it the way that makes sense for your constituency. Um, one of the things, you know, we're, we're trying to make sure that people can't get in and, and they're, uh, you know, when if they walk up to a building, they realize this isn't a school that they want to try to enter. The other side of that that I'm trying to figure out how to address is is how we make the people that are inside the building feel comfortable. Granted, if we we put a fence, we do all these things. Um, they don't know when we put up window film, you know, impact resistant film. Um, they see a fence go up. They don't know really that that's a deterrent. So I'm I'm trying to figure out what other things can we do um, that that may not cost anything. Uh, you know, we're we're doing we're rekeying our district. That's a hundred thousand dollars. That's going to be complete by the end of the summer. We've got probably eight or nine different key systems right now. So 
we are installing uh, electronic door locks on all of our classrooms so that card access will be able to just get in and, and we can lock down uh, classroom doors. One of the things I'm looking at is visibility of our maintenance and operations staff. We, we are always on campus, um, but our, our historically, we kind of operate behind the scenes. You know, we don't want people to know that we went in and worked on an air conditioner, that we went in and cleaned. And I'm sort of thinking the more they see our people, because I, I tell you, our, our maintenance and operations staff, they see everything, they talk, they as soon as they see something outside a window or something in a building that they that, that, that looks a little bit odd, we hear about it. And so we're really trying to encourage our staff to make sure they speak up if they if they see something that, that doesn't quite look right on the inside. So it's more of a training issue um, or training um, opportunity, I should say, for us to improve safety and security from the inside out. Yeah, Paul, uh, what Mike said is pretty interesting as far as. Uh, two things. One is, you know, he has uh, maintenance and operations staff that are trained to and are empowered to say something when they they see something out of place. And two, you talked about, you know, implementing uh, new technology. Uh, how does that impact everybody else's ability to get training on this and learn what they need to do, like what kind of where to go, things like that? Paul? Yeah, so I, I think the way that Mike's approaching it is, is something we all need to consider because really what we're talking about is, is you know, having a little more visibility with the MO folks and then educating uh, the folks that are inside the instructional facility, whether it be teachers or administrative staff, hey, they're here and they're, they're a part of the team, they're a part of the process as well. And we're all looking out for each other. And so it becomes like this big awareness campaign that you start embedding this you know, heads up safety culture, pay attention, see something, say something kind of mantras that, that start to show up. And as a function of that, now you've got a whole lot more direct observations about things that you could be doing better, which will identify potential gaps in training. Hey, we didn't understand we were supposed to do it this way, or nobody's ever showed us how to do these kinds of things. And so if you document those kinds of observations and encourage people to report those things back, it will specifically guide your training on where you need to go. I think one of the best questions that we can ask anybody, if we were to, if all three of us were to go into a school today, the only question you need to ask is, what makes you feel safe in this facility? When you're talking about overall safety and emergency management, because that answer will lead me to, okay, if this was what makes them feel safe, do we have training? Do we have education pieces in place as a part of our natural onboarding procedure, as a part of our annual update procedures that allow them to continue to feel safe. And if you have those things in place, then you just keep that training going. If you do not, then you've identified an area of opportunity. And I think it's really important that we start migrating that mindset a little bit to these auxiliary departments. A lot of times they don't get the, the exact same training that, you know, instructional folks do because they're not necessarily on the campus full-time, but they're on campuses full-time. And so it doesn't matter where they are in the district. We need to have the fidelity of, you know, kind of spreading that training to each level so that everybody understands, okay, we're all on the same team here. We're all going to pay attention and we're all going to be here for students. Let's be here for the safety as well. And I, we're really starting to see that transition, I feel like, across the, across the board in school districts. Like Mike said, they're starting up their 
their police department and they're starting to change how their, you know, their mindset might be with regard to visibility of M&O on the campus. It just kind of helps put people more at ease about what's going on and what we need to cover moving forward in various different types of training. You make a good point about um, Operation Auxiliary never following instructional that the training that they get um, probably three years ago when I started here, uh, as in all districts, cafeteria workers, child nutrition folks, when there's a fire drill, what do they do? They keep cooking, they keep prepping the meal. As much as I appreciate that, but one of the first things that I did, I said, uh, so, so we coordinate with the principals to find out when they're going to do their drills and we coordinate subs to come in and say, okay, people are going to leave the building that, that are usually in the building, but we're going to have subs come in like rather than because we can't put off breakfast and lunch. Um, That's a good point. We yeah. Bring in other staff to come in, at least kind of maintain the the equipment and, and watch it for the 15, 20 minutes of the drill. But but they were surprised the first time that we ever did that. They said, well, no, we just always we always stay in here. We know what to do, but you haven't done it. You haven't. What, what exit do you go out? From a from a training perspective, I, I would offer the, this this thing to think about. Do you train until you get it right or do you train until you can't get it wrong? mindsets with how you're going to approach getting that into the muscle memory and even the historical approach to how we've, you know, treated auxiliary, how we've treated instructional and just safety training just in general. Because generally, if you get it right, hey, good job, we're done, we can move on to the next thing. But what are we doing to keep that embedded into the muscle memory? And even just from a mental rep perspective, I think, you know, doing situational exercises like a tabletop exercise where you just sit them down and buy lunch and say, Hey, this is the scenario that you walked into on a middle school today. Um, what would you do right now? What was the, what decisions would you make with the information that you have? And then people start to realize, okay, I either have all the tools and training that I need to be able to make decisions in a critical moment, or I don't. And I'm looking for ways to gather that as a part of us increasing our training, increasing our response capability across all departments and all personnel. And so that's the opportunity that we get every day in the safety and emergency management is to bring that to the table and say, hey, let's let's be honest about where we are. Let's be honest about where we want to be and who we're doing it for. It's not just the students, but the staff as well. And to use Mike's child nutrition example, they're their safety matters to me and every other safety person just as much as any student in that building. They all want to go home to their families. And so we got to make sure that we're reaching out to the far corners of those that need to receive the training, understand the purpose of why we do it and take it serious. And then we continue to refine that approach with the requirements that are given to us from whatever that comes from, as well as what we do when we police ourselves and just to make sure that we're growing as a district. Well, that makes sense. I, I know you guys are on different parts of the state. Paul, you're you're in New Caney. Uh, Mike, you're in Salado. How do you? And I know you've you've kind of you, your network throughout the states. What are you seeing as far as customizing these these training and facility improvements and security plans uh, across each campus and even administrative buildings? I would say that you know the the approach is uh, is. Like, obviously, we don't want a one-size-fits-all. Everybody doesn't need to do the same thing. But maybe the assessment aspect of it, of 
what areas are you looking at kind of helps you get a good baseline. We all start from the same place, but what we do as a result of what we find from our surveys is going to be different from where we are. The hazards that Mike has to deal with in his area compared to what I have to deal with are completely different um, because we're regionally in different places. We have different school boards with different um, motivations for things that are you know, perceived hazards or actual hazards. And so we need to pay attention to all of those things and make sure that we have, you know, a, a committee of sorts or a small uh, group of folks that are saying, okay, here's what's important to New Caney ISD. Here's what's important to Saladio ISD. Here's how we're going to rake our approach to meeting those requirements, as well as, you know, additional documents that need to be turned into the state for just general emergency management planning, because we're starting to see more accountability with what's required from emergency operations plan to the level of detail that they need to go into. And the Texas School Safety Center is providing a lot of great information and templates to help folks drive in the right direction and see, okay, here's where I can start. Here's a place where I can reach out. And that will allow you to really customize, not just a campus, but even your district's approach to emergency response in general. There's a couple of things with with Salado that's that's unique. Um, first of all, you know we're we're going through the long range facility planning process right now with a committee of almost 50 people. Um, one of the things that has been really obviously safety security is always a, a top priority, but what is what has supported that or what, kind of what's driven it too is not just what happens in the news and to our neighbors. I-35 is just maybe 200 yards from our elementary and maybe 300 yards from our middle school and high school, that topic gets brought up so often that how many thousands of people drive just a few hundred yards from, from our campuses. And, you know, so what we're doing, what's required, what's the best practice is that still the, the best thing that we can do, you know, so we're, we're looking at fencing, you know, we, we don't want our campus to look institutional. So we're trying to figure out how do we make them secure people from keeping keeping them out and, and thinking about all the people driving up and down I-35. The other thing, we're in a, in a really great opportunity, a great position. Again, we've got this committee that we're looking. We're looking at uh, the next three to five years and probably building a new elementary school and a new high school. Our middle school is two and a half years old. So it's it's mostly up to date with the exception of just the last you know few months of, of requirements. But we're we're going to be in a situation where five years from now, our campuses are going to be modernized. Um, we won't have any old campuses that we need to go back and retrofit. We're addressing everything in the next three to five years. And at the same time, we're setting that standard that here's what any new renovation, if we add a wing, if we renovate just an office space, what do we do for do we do we have an emergency button? Do we have cameras? So it is it's become second nature, which is is good. Um, but like I said, in the next three to five years, we will be caught up and then just any new campuses like that will we'll be following the same suit. All right. Well, hey, I appreciate you guys uh, taking a little bit of time to talk about these issues. Uh, we'll hear more from you at the summer conference at in Galveston. One of the workshops on that Tuesday is Operations Hot Topics. Uh, tell us about that. There'll be myself and Mike and, I, and maybe a couple other safety and operational folks there that Basically, we're kind of extend kind of what's what's going on. What are what are people seeing? What are some of the hot topics right now? What are some that have been historically? 
And, you know, what I, what I enjoy most about this is it really becomes a think tank for all of us to kind of network and throw out solutions, not just us giving the solutions, but even listening for our own, you know, benefit. And so it really becomes more of a workshop of peers to kind of, hey, here's what I'm looking at. Here's my interpretation of this. What are you guys doing for that? And it gives us a chance to really kind of hash things out. And folks like Mike that have been doing it a while and have seen it from different areas. And then we have, you know, other folks with different perspectives or different expertise allow us to really refine that approach and maybe give us some good options to solve some of the challenges that we're seeing in M&O and safety all, you know, now and historically. Yeah, Paul's right. I think one of the things that a lot of people just automatically think is that if someone's got 20 years experience, they got all the solutions and all the answers. And the truth is the smartest person in that room at the operations academy is going to be the group of people. No matter what Paul and I see, we go back and think about what did we see, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, someone can walk into that room and say, you know, I just started last week, but I noticed this one thing because they completely uh, uh, different perspective, brand new, you know, from the private sector. Um, so it's a chance for everybody to, to bring their, their challenges and to not be on an island by themselves, because I guarantee we're all thinking the same thing when we come in at six o'clock in the morning going, OK, what, what's what am I going to be faced with today and how do I get through it? And uh, you, you can't do it on your own. It's going to take the whole group 